Hello everyone and welcome back to Morning Shot Uncut and I'm joined by Byron of course who is very very miserable because he's on some godforsaken mud island where it's very very cold and he's missing South Africa interestingly enough. Welcome Byron. Hello. Yeah I'm in England. It's cold. It's minus two. If it starts to, if it starts to rain right now it's pretty much going to snow. Yeah you know for those of you who don't know I have a horse ranch in the middle of the Eastern Cape. 34 degrees there right now. What the hell am I doing here? Sound crazy. Well, crazy or stupid, one or the other. I think it's important to note. Like, you know, people speak about white privilege and, and all that sort of stuff. Uh, the cold is the reason why there is such a thing, right? If you look at the history of civilization, it was a reaction to the environment for the most part. And the cold is a very important element because you don't want to die over the course of winter. You want to survive winter. So therefore, you had to make sure that your crops were in place, that you kept your animals inside your house and all the rest of it. So an Indian friend of mine actually told me that is what what white privilege is, like not dying in winter for a thousand years. So there you go. It has its uses, in other words. This shit. Everything's white privilege these days. Coincidentally, actually, talking about that, as we as this is over cut, to just talk about any old rubbish. Um, did you know that the story in the Bible... True story. It says uh, Jesus was born in a stable. We know the idea of an actual stable. Stable, stable. No, stable, stable is a Western idea. In fact, they actually didn't have stables like that in Palestine. So it was impossible for him to have been born in, you know, like a barn type structure, you know, wooden roof and all that. That's impossible. However, in the houses in Palestine, because see, in Palestine, slash Israel, whatever you want to call it, the least, it's desert. And for those of you who have ever been to a desert, you'll know something fundamental about desert. Bloody hot during the day and freaking cold during the night. It's like it's a it's a level of extremes. There's no really kind of like hot during the day and then it just stays like relatively warm. So because of that, the nighttime temperature in the Middle East tends to plummet to points where it's actually uncomfortable to live, almost impossible to live. So the way they built their houses is they built their houses on two layers. The bottom of the layer or the bottom layer of the house is what they call the stable. It's where all the animals live. Then the humans lived above. So why did they do that? Is because the animals would basically radiate heat upwards, and the humans at the top, who were level above them, would all benefit from the warmth from the animal. So where it says Jesus was born in a stable, what it actually means is he was born at the bottom of the house because there was no room in the inn, which was the top of the house. The top of the house was full, so he had to sleep at the bottom of the animal. But it doesn't mean that he went to a different house somewhere else you know an actual what we call a hotel with a barn attached to it like that's a that's a western idea and specifically a 10th century western idea because barns and stables and like that were a product of uh gone at the middle the middle ages in in europe that's yeah that's very left field for this podcast i mean all i wanted to talk about why yeah. is why it's okay to be white in south africa i mean that was the main reason why we doing this and the reason I say this is because Fikilin Baluda said uh, Andre Dereta, who has resigned as ESCOM CEO, and they kicked him out because he exposed, you know, things that people already knew for the most part. Uh, he called Andre Dereta right wing uh, for 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 doing this interview where he exposed uh, senior members of the ANC as being at the feeding trough of ESCOM, and it made me realize the ANC never ever calls a black critic right wing. A white critic, yes. Or... Uh, no, I, 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 dis I disagree. I disagree because, as you know, whenever a black critic criticizes the government 
or criticizes any form of socialist ideology, that makes him a coconut. No, it makes him a uh, sellout. You know, black- they use the term sellout, but they don't ever say right wing. It's only for white people yeah. to criticize that they call right wing. Anyone from the DA to Afri Forum to Andre de Reiter. So in essence, according to the ANC, and this is, this is the important part, if you are white in South Africa and you are criticizing the ANC, you are right wing. So therefore, this is something that uh, us, we've uh, imbibed and, and fully agree with. But for the viewers out there and for the listeners out there, you are basically classified as right-wing. It is something that is foisted upon you by the commie bastards, which are the ANC. So you may as well just accept it because it is the correct thing to be. Like the white right. We should call have a name for it. I don't know what. White, white, white right. Yeah, white wing. Yes, Ramon. White wing. Um, look, so we should probably roll this back a little bit and actually say that Tito, you know, Tito, the uh, fun-loving cook of the ANC who can't cook shit for shit, um, he came out this week as well and said, that why don't uh, whites embrace non-racialism in South Africa? And why is it that uh, they don't join the ANC? And I suppose our answer to this would start off with the idea that because we're not fucking stupid. And unfortunately, everybody in the ANC is just completely retarded. Mr. Fix for Call was on TV yesterday because obviously he's now refuting the allegations of the Raider. And one of the things that he says there is he says, well, the ANC is not corrupt. We did state capture. He said that in those in that actual word, that's a direct quote. We are not corrupt. We did state capture. State capture was corruption, you fucking moron. So you are corrupt. You just said I'm not corrupt, but I'm corrupt. You see, we're not stupid. The next thing he says is, the ANC wants nothing more than just to have non-racialism in a democratic country. Yeah, but you've got more apartheid-based rules, in other words, race-based rules, on the law books than the apartheid government. So how does that work? All we ever hear is, ah, oh, well, you know, the land issue and the Watts issue and the foreign this issue and the not enough transformation and we should just, you know, let's not be scared of the Watis. But in the same breath, they're going to claim to not be racist. They're going to be like, oh, no, we want to be non-racialism. Non-racialism, Ramon, as I'm sure you know, basically means we're kind of blind. We don't notice black or white. So how can you notice black or white? But then you've got a shitload of rules on the statute books that basically say we only preference black people. That doesn't make sense. So to answer Tito's question, why don't the white people join the ANC? Because we're not retarded. And the ANC is completely retarded. Well, I think, you, I think we need to understand why the ANC is so-called non-racial. Because we must never forget, they're only non-racial because of the South African Communist Party. What is the founding, one of the founding right. tenets of communism from the Soviet Union, of which the South African Communist Party is one of the oldest allies? They were founded in 1921. The Soviet Union became the Soviet Union in like 1917. So it was one of the youngest and earliest communist parties to ever exist. But a key insight of the communist party and the Soviet Union is that race doesn't matter, class does. So if you want class consciousness, if you want an overthrow and revolt against capitalism, you don't discriminate on race, you discriminate on class. And the class can be different races. It doesn't really matter, but you need the broadest, biggest umbrella 
to incorporate everyone within that class to revolt against the capitalist class. So to the South African Communist Party, who then joined the ANC in the 1950s, who said, we need to make the ANC non-racial. Everyone must be equally communist, right? And the fact that they became non-racial was because the Communist Party was run by white communists. That's the most important part you need to understand. Because they knew if the ANC was race nationalist in the 50s and the 60s, it would limit their appeal to a so-called new South Africa. So they're only non-racial in a sense because the communists forced them to be non-racial. But as soon as they came into power, that non-racialism died very, very quickly. Also at the behest of of the Communist Party, because the Communist Party are the ones that created the legislation to have more diversity and BE and cadre deployment to control the revolution. And the enemies of the revolution naturally became white. And not the other way around. Absolutely. Now, what's funny what's funny about that is that if you look at the history books, it says that Nelson Mandela actually partnered with the South African Communist Party because he himself had a concern about the race nationalism of the ANC. In other words, that the ANC itself was actually a black nationalist party. So he obviously partnered with these individuals, as you rightly say, in order to widen the appeal of the anti-apartheid struggle. And get funding from the Soviet Union. Why that be? Very important. And get funding from the Soviet Union, 100%. And most noticeably, the weapons, the AK-47s, which are now plaguing our streets and killing all the innocent people because the comic bastards didn't do anything with their weapons. They just had their revolution and buried them in the yard. Somebody dug them up and used them for crime. Catch and transfer, maybe. Um... But why this becomes relevant is because in a modern dawn of a South Africa, we now have a counterplay between culture. We have the communists trying to do their communist bullcrap, and then we have the ANC trying to do their race nationalist bullcrap. And because they're both allies, they both have to come up with a compromise. But at the same time, they have to do it in a compromised way in terms of democracy. In other words, they think they can all vote their way out of this. So what we get is we get a mishmash of bullshit that doesn't make any sense. And coming back to the story about the Rater, the Rater highlights that. He says, you know, it's actually really embarrassing. These guys all walk into a meeting and they're all like, commie, communist, commie this, commie that. He's like, they're all comrades and talking about the proletariat. He's like, this language, in terms of a Western sense, was last used before the fall of the Berlin Wall. So when you're going to investors and you're saying, hi, investors, we're a young, new, hip country. Look at us. We're We've got new ideas and we're on our way to greatness. So then you start coming out with 80s level communist rhetoric. It makes it look like you're dealing with freaking Cuba. So the rhetoric doesn't match. On top of that, you then get some white investors going, okay, well, maybe I'll give you a chance. And then they're like, well, wait, you need your B bullshit. You need your affirmative action bullshit. You need all of our race quota bullshit to our union's bullshit. And everybody, as Dorator says, looks at them with a great big bewildered look and goes, I don't understand what's going on here. Therefore, I'm just not going to invest there. It just sounds too complicated. It sounds like I'm having to deal with Soviet-level communist bastards with their race nationalist bullshit that want to sit there and limit what I, what I do, but actually want my money. And anybody in the audience that just heard all of that would probably be like, yep, that's the ANC government. But to a foreigner, you... Yeah, I'm sure you can understand how they must sit back and go, well, I'm not up for that, really. That's that's not really for me. Yeah, yeah. The reason that I had a friend who did a lot of business in Dubai in the early days when Dubai was starting to come up. And I always asked him, like, how, how was it? He said, it's the most confusing thing possible. You go into a meeting, and the meeting is actually not about work. 
They give you tea. They talk about Dubai. They talk about your family. They talk about everything except for the work or the deal you want to make. And you stay in Dubai for four or five days. They take you on tours and you go on camels and you do all this stuff. You never talk about business at all, despite the fact that it's a business trip. And then they invite you back like six months later, and then they talk about the business deal. And then they say yes or no. But as a, as a, as a business experience, it was very strange at the time for him, because if you go to a business meeting, you talk about the business, yes or no, negotiate the terms, etc. But Dubai just didn't have that. Now that's changed dramatically. And now the investment has gone up heavily in Dubai because they get to business first and don't worry about the camels so much. But in South Africa, you know for a fact, as a foreign investor, you will come in, sit around a table, and it's just going to be about graft. How much can you give me for you to actually invest in this country? What do you investment? Okay, cool. I want 20%. You will give it to Tabor over there, who is the whatever, whatever, whatever. And then after that, uh, we can't really guarantee your property rights. We can't really guarantee that the unions won't burn down your factory. But, you know, that's the cost of doing business in Africa. And the investor's going to be like, no, <laughs> I'd rather go to Mozambique. <laughs> At least I know what I'm in for there. Yeah. Which is even a which is an even bigger shithole. But, you know, it's, it's, it's ironic because, I, you know, if you sit down and you think about it, you know, and I, and I want all South Africans, I call all South Africans to think about this. Please, the more of us that leave, the more of these commie bastards just get to do whatever the fuck they want. The more of us that encourage our people to come back and stay in this country. Mate, it's a, it's a question of numbers. We don't have the numbers. So you know what we need? We need the numbers. We need to make the, we need to get the numbers to make the ANCE relevant. Our ancestors knew this, but for some reason the modern snowflakes of the generations that they're on out don't seem to understand this. You can go somewhere else and you can go, well, I'm never going to have these problems somewhere else, am I? Like, oh, I'll go, I'll go to, it's funny, I, I spoke to somebody the other day and they were like, oh, you know, I'm going to Australia because that's a, that's a predominantly white country and this would never happen. And you're like, England in 2000 was 2% foreign. The rest of it were native English people. It's not that anymore. It's 2023. 20, it's nearly 60% is anyone. Nearly 40% is foreign. What the fuck happened there? Right? It's only 20 years. Don't turn around and say, oh, it could never happen to our country. So what are you going to run to Australia? And you're going to go, oh, but there's mainly whites there. And then when there's not, where are you going to go? So we had this conversation with Doug Wilson, didn't we? I mean, Doug, Doug actually said in the old days, when there's problems in a country, people used to run to the US as the pioneer or the frontier. Yeah. Doug actually said, there aren't any frontiers anymore. They've all been conquered. Therefore, when you get a problem in your state, there's nowhere to go where the problem doesn't exist. So South Africa wants to drastically change the problem. It needs to drastically change its, its, its country. It needs to change the mindset of the people. And it needs to change the, the demographics. Well, what I mean by that is, if you want your people to help you solve your problem, your people can't leave. They need to stay and help you solve the problem. In fact, if anything, you need more more of your people. You know, it's like it's the old it's the old English adage. Yeah. said so a lot of people are be thinking, what on earth are we talking about? Are we like, talking about like sort of white nationalism or something like that? But no, no, not really. We need people who who can build uh, with skills to to sort of flock back to South Africa, and we are quite bullish on South Africa for a variety of reasons. But 
I wouldn't want to live in a country where it's like 80% white because that's just intolerable to me. Like imagine living in Australia or New Zealand or England for that. Well, not that it's 80% white anymore. It's not, it's, I, not the, it's not the white demographics, man. And I'm sure you agree. That's not the whiteness. It's not the whiteness. Yeah. It's the, it's the problem is that these countries are, are 80% white. They're also 80% fucking carrot. Who the fuck wants to live with a liberal carrot? No one. Like imagine Cape, imagine like Constantia and Cape Town expanded to a whole country. Intolerable. I oh. could never live there. Oh. I could never live there. But what, what you need to understand, and I think what Byron's trying to say, I'm trying to, to, to understand what you're trying to say, to be honest with you, is that be bullish on South Africa, right? If, if you are of a particular mindset, South Africa is the best place to be. Like, speaking of Andrew Tate, uh, I'm sure everyone knows who Andrew Tate is. He's like some so-called guy in the manosphere who talks about men being strong, but now he's in prison for doing like cam sex trafficking or whatever the case might be. Ironically, he said he went to Romania because the law is so lax and because it's corrupt so you could do what you want. But now he's finding out that because the law is corrupt, it's actually deeply, deeply inconsistent. So if it targets you, it targets you badly. The irony is, if he wanted to move to South Africa and did what he did, he would get away with it and make far more money and have a far better lifestyle than what he's doing in Romania. Like, that's the sort of impulse we want people to inculcate to come back. Not to run cam pornographic businesses by any means, but we're just talking about businesses in general, because that cam stuff is just degenerate and should be banned, in my opinion. Yeah, so what I'm, try- what I'm trying to say is that running away from the problem in South Africa doesn't fix it. That's what I'm saying. I'm saying that a lot of people understand the problem. Like, we all get classed as right wing. We all want to do the right thing in the country. We all want to fix it. Well, this is our hope. Running away from the problem, just so that you can go live in a country that you class as predominantly white, doesn't fix the problem. Because the problem isn't your race. This is what the ANC also doesn't seem to understand. This is going back to what we are talking about, the comedy bullshit. The problem isn't the race. It's not that we're all a bunch of whiteies and we want white nationalism. The problem is that what we actually want to be is we want economic prosperity and freedom in the country to to get along and actually be free enough to have our economic prosperity without the bullshit of the state. That's what we want. Now, you're going to go to a country like Australia and go, oh, it's 80% white. Yeah, but that doesn't stop the state from still being bullshit and giving you commie bastard crap, doesn't it? Right? And you can go, well, I'm not getting the commie bastard crap right now. Yeah, and when you are, then what? Where are you going to run to? There's no pioneer country to, to run to. So the point is, if you know that these are your people, your people are Afrikaners with Afrikaner culture, hard work mentality, you you like your you like your language, then you need more of your people. That should be obvious, not less. Why would you encourage your people to leave? You need more of your people to embody your culture and your values. And the answer that we'll never to get is, well, well, it's a struggle in South Africa, and you know, if only I could go somewhere else, and it'd be a little bit easier. So struggle wherever you go. It's just a different type of struggle. You know, it's the old, it's the old adage. The grass is greener on the other side because it's just more shit on that on that hill. Okay, you just, you're going to deal with shit somewhere. You're either going to deal with shit in your stable or then the guy next door. Live with it. Yeah. It's how you deal with that that makes a, that makes a difference. And the difference with our stable in this analogy is that the, the head groomsman's nowhere to be found. 100%. Whereas, and if he walks in the your, stable next door... And if he walks... Good. And if he walks on your property, you shoot him and feed him to the pigs. <laughs> Don't tell people what we do on weekends. 
Um, but people might be thinking, they're listening to this, like, okay, fine, I want more people to stay. I want uh, to build something in South Africa, but I'm so hopeless about this place. You know, the place is hopeless. There's nothing, you know, nothing we can do. Well, that's where you're wrong, my friends, because one of the, the, the key insights that we found this week is, is this article by Franz Grenier. Franz Grenier is the ex-CEO of the IRR, and he wrote this piece saying, finding positives against, or rather amid, the overly dark national mood. And one of his key insights is that, okay, the ANC is trending downwards below 50% in 2024. And importantly, what he says is we need a sort of pragmatic unity government, which he means the ANC-DA coalition, which which we agree with, which we spoke about before. We we did a whole podcast on this year. Yeah, very much so. And and he says he understands the analyses which say that this deal, the ANC-DA coalition, would be a giant mistake. But to quote a senior military officer in Washington in the 1980s, the key thing is to not make the wrong mistake. And this is the important part, and maybe this is something we're guilty of, where he says, even though the ANZ is at its weakest, it is, will be a costly mistake to grind it down to nothing. Because even in the weakest state of the ANZ right now, it still represents the aspirations of millions of good and decent people. And that is true, to a large degree. I mean, we don't understand the mentality too well. We, we do consider these people treasonous, and we do consider the people that vote for the ANZ treasonous. But we do know for a fact... A lot of people vote for the ANC for non-ideological reasons. So therefore, if you try to grind down the ANC, you're not actually going to get anywhere. But if you are able to control the thrust of the ANC through a government of national unity or whatever the case might be, that's how you can sort of save South Africa. That's one of the most positive outlooks you can have in this place. What are your thoughts on that? Yeah, I mean... I think I think that what what we have and it's funny because we also did a podcast on this around the electorates in South Africa being stupid. But with that being said, we you may recall I did a whole thing in a way talking about just like people just don't understand politics to a large degree. That's people don't want to understand politics because they're like, oh, it doesn't impact me. It doesn't interest me. It doesn't impact you or interest you until it does, right? I mean, it's like. It didn't impact anybody or interest anybody when the economy was growing at the top of back here, but they didn't notice what was happening behind the scenes. The minute all of a sudden the economy started going backwards and there was state capture, all of a sudden people are interested, right? So it's like, you know, it doesn't it doesn't impact me until it does. And that that's a key point. But I think what we see in politics these days is probably what we used to see before the Enlightenment period. As as Catholics remind you'll know, this is one example. In the old days, they used to tell the Bible stories by using Muriel's on the wall. So you'd have like your old stained glass windows in a church. And you go, you point to it and you'd be like, ah, oh, there's Jesus on the mountain. But nobody sat, sat there reading the actual Bible. They couldn't, so it's in Latin. And they couldn't actually do any form of theological thinking. The theological thinking was left for, you know, what we typically refer to today as the men in the ivory towers, right? They were the left for the academics. Yeah. The elites. And to a large degree, it's like, the masses were educated through terms of catechism. They were educated through just a small little shitty stuff. Like, here's a picture on the wall. Let me just briefly explain stuff to you. And I think that that itself is actually what's occurring now in modern times with, with political thinking. The majority of people have this, like, very basic idea of political thinking. There's, like, there's the Muriel. There's what it kind of represents. There's Jesus on the mountain type thing. And then it's left to the elites to do the actual thinking. It's kind of like the old adage where 
the elites were sitting thinking about how many angels could sit on the the, the head of a pin, like things that meant nothing to anybody. It, it was just, you could sit there and think about it all day, but it was useless. But that's what we see with the elites thinking when it comes through to politics. It's like they're thinking of all this useless shit that doesn't mean anything. Now, by the ANC, I think I think you're right, and I think France is right, because what's happening is that a lot of people see the ANC as a degree of freedom, economic prosperity, and the ability to possibly get myself out of poverty. I think that's it. I don't I don't think they think that it's all being done at the expense of the land issue and they give us bigger land and prescribed assets and this and this and this. They don't know that. That political thinking isn't in their mindset. All they're seeing is all they're seeing is I want a bit of freedom. In other words, you know, they remember the old days of liberation. They're thinking liberation party, it will give me my freedom. I want to be able to get a job without, you know, economic hurdles, in other words, race quotas and all that stuff. And to a large degree, the other the unemployed masses don't have those problems. They only have problems of you don't have enough experience or education. They also have the problem that there aren't enough jobs, but that's a different story inside. And then they're also thinking, well, you know, I'd also just like to be able to own a property and get on a lap. And I think the ANC, to a large degree, does embody some of those ideas. But they're not smart enough to see beyond that. They're not smart enough to see that the economic policy is the thing that Starfleet from them things from job creation. They don't. They're not smart enough to see that. Whilst they may they have, may not have race quotas, other people do. So they they're not smart enough to see what's behind the 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 picture, the muriel on the wall. You think that's fact? I, I mean, I think that that's pretty fair for for most of the electorate. I think uh, you know we're one of the worst educated uh, you know populations in the world uh, to a large degree. Uh, politics is largely about brand. And the ANC brand is very strong. It's like supporting Man- Manchester United, irrespective of you don't really care who the manager is or who the players are. You just know like the the, the red devil symbol, and and that's what you really really vote for. What is interesting though, I find, is that the ANC and Francis so in his piece right now, is that the ANC is not doing any of the usual popular stuff that these sort of governments do when they are facing an election defeat. They're not helping inflate the currency. <clears throat> They're not arresting opposition. They're not, they can't help inflate because the SARB is relatively independent. They're not uh, stimming or arresting John Steenhazen as an opposition leader. Because they can't. Uh, well, I'm, I'm sure they, they could, but it would. Uh, just, but what elite uh, force? No, I, you know what I mean. You know what I mean. But it, it, it does appear that the ANC is not doing the usual things populist governments do to retain power. They tried it with like EWC and NHI, but now they're not no longer talking about that because they know that no one really wants it, right? There's no like mass action for like the NHI or for EWC. And they looked at the surveys, looked at the data that we've seen as well, where land reform is like the 40th most important political thing. What is most important is jobs, uh, education, crime, and, and the usual stuff that everyone wants to solve. So in terms of where we are in South Africa at the moment, and this is your white morning shot white pull moment is that we're in the perfect paradigm of a collapsing state but the alternatives are very robust and because the collapse of the state is non-populist the alternatives have the time to actually be built and spread and be used by people like you and i by people listening to this podcast so if south africa is at the stage for the next five years irrespective of the election it's really not a bad place to be Arguably, it's one of the best places to be. The state has no power. We have far I agree. I agree. So long as people sit fast, buckle their belts, and prepare for the ride. And 
help do their part. That's why I come back to the point of if you want your culture to survive and your people to survive, you need to stay. You need to stay and, and grow your grow your culture. Whether that be have fifty kids, well, I don't know. Maybe that's an option. Maybe it's encourage people to form communities. Maybe it's take in a, another family and revive your culture with them. Maybe it's take your take your domestic worker and put her through school. Maybe that's the option. Maybe it's get them to come to your church and invite the spirit. There are numerous ways of doing it, but running away from the problem isn't isn't the solution. And so there's lots of people. Hundred percent. And that's the point that I was making. The short term solution is okay, I'm gonna go to somewhere out because there's more whites. Yeah, and, and then and then when there's a communist bullshit there, we don't think it's not coming into these Western nations. Mate, we see it all the time. We cover this in the news. The Western nations are getting affected by the same bullshit that we are. We're just further down the road than that. Which also means that we're also further down the road to fixing the shit that they're causing. So, you know, it's... And, and the Russell Lombardsky makes this, makes this point, doesn't he? Either going to build your change here or somewhere else. Yeah, and, and but also, I mean, the Great Reset is hitting all those countries hard. And the governments are, are quite happy to run with it because they have the capabilities, they have the money, they have the skills, and they have the, the, the ideology to go with it. Here, the ANC has the ideology to go with it, but no money, no skills, no competence, and no intelligence to actually implement it. Oh, why is that a bad thing? Like, that's the most perfect paradigm to live in, where all these lofty aspirations are wanted by the state, but we know deep down, not to be complacent, but we know deep down as a population that they just can't fucking do it. And that brings me a yeah. lot of, me makes me very settled. Like, I don't have anxiety about South Africa at all. Because I just well, how, 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 can you, how can you? I mean, for, for me personally, right? I mean, I, I have the same conversation with my freaking mother. For all, of all people, she has the anxieties because she's an old she's an old Karen. Sorry, mum, but you are you're a Karen, and she's she's one of those people that's like, oh, but what happens if the grid goes offline? I'm off grid. I don't care. Oh, but you know, if the grid goes offline, we'll have no water. I'm off grid. I don't care. Oh, but you know, uh, what, 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 would, what would we do for security? I'm off grid. I don't care. You see, like you can insulate yourself from the problems. But you know, I've got, I've got a house in the UK too. I can't do this in the UK, mate. Do you know, I got a quote for solar in the UK. I know we're going a little bit off topic. I got a quote for solar in the UK. It's three times more expensive than what I paid in South Africa. But the parts are all coming from China. So it's not like, oh, okay, South Africa secured a better deal. Like, we're all fucking there. It's just more expensive here. Why is it more expensive? More red tape, more hurdles. This doesn't work. That doesn't work. You need this certificate to that clearance and this survey. So the result is, I'm paying three times more for three times less of a system. Like, how the hell does that make sense? But this is what it's like in these countries trying to become state-proof. You can't. Yeah. It's, no, impossible. You, it's impossible to become state-proof. And anyone who watches Clarkson's Farm, especially season two, would understand that. Whereas the difference is in South Africa, with the commie nonsense, they're actually giving you a rebate to get off grid. That's, where else in the world would you get that? I don't know. I guess it's a small, pathetic rebate. Don't get me wrong. It's like 15,000 around on the system of 150,000. But still... Rebate's a rebate. A rebate's a rebate. Nowhere else in the world of any competent government or a dictatorship, will they actually pay you to stop using the services supplied by the state? Because the services supplied by the state is the control mechanism they have over you. 
Whereas here in South Africa, they're privatizing half the ports. They're giving you a rebate to go off grid. I mean, <laughs> come on. All the trends are flowing towards this private state. And if you have the mindset of the private state and understanding how it works and, and, and giving value to the private state, mate, this country is going to boom. Not in terms of GDP and what the World Bank thinks. No one gives a shit about that. About the lived experience of South Africa and the ability to live here and, and thrive here. That's what matters the most. And, and I'm very bullish on this place. Like, superbly bullish. And every time the stage six loading, I get even more bullish. Because people realize what a fuck up it is. I've said this before and I said it again. It's 2023 and stage six is still impacting some businesses. And I still have to ask the question of how. I moved back to South Africa in 2018. Two months after me setting up a business in 2018, some bloke walked up to me and said, have you got a UPS? I was like, what's a UPS? He's like, oh, you need a UPS because we have the thing called load shedding. And I was like, what? What the hell is load shedding? He's like, oh, to where they turn the grid off for X amount of hours. I thought the guy was taking taking the mic with me. I had to actually go next door and ask them. I was like, this load shedding thing this guy's just told me about, is he trying to con me? Is he just trying to extract some money out of me? Is this a real thing? The guy was like, yeah, yeah, yeah it definitely is. Let me show you my system. So I went then in 2018 and bought a, a UPS. And then shortly afterwards, I didn't have load shedding for nine months. I actually thought I got missold. I thought I got conned. And then obviously we had the big load shedding schedule of 2019, where you may recall at some points, we actually went up to stage eight. I mean, it's quick. It's amazing how quick, quick people forget. We actually had an entire month of stage eight. I personally had no electricity for like a month. I think it was stage six. The first time we even went to stage six. December 2019, like three months after Dorito became CEO. Yeah. So, you know, the the funny part about it is obviously, for me personally, I put all the systems in then. And ever since then, I've upgraded the system like four times over to the point where I'm now completely off-grid and I just say, mm, I don't care what happens. Like, it never impacts me. So the question that I have, Ramon, is how is it 2023? And I started doing this as a person who just arrived freshly off the boat. I mean, I'm South African, but, you know, I was in the UK for a while. But freshly off the boat, I walk in and I, and I bloody put the systems in. Like, but there's people that have lived there now their entire lives and they've never even thought about it. How are you going to them going, have you thought about solar? And they're like, well, you know, I didn't really think about it, you know. Are you stupid? How do you, how have you not thought about this? Like, couple couple quid on the mortgage, like, yeah. 100,000 on the mortgage, you're off grid. Done. I, I, I think it costs you an extra, what, 100 grand a month? That's, that's the problem people face, right? So I have a, a very good uh, a gay couple who are friends of mine because we're not anti-homophobic on this show by any means. And they were also of this notion like, oh, you know, so it's really expensive, it's really expensive, it's really expensive. Stage six, stage six hits uh, a few months ago. They're like, you know what? I don't care how expensive. We're going to increase the mortgage. So they, they put in an extra 250000 around the mortgage. They completely off-grid now. And you know what? They have got they have to pay an extra 150, 200, 250 around a month in the mortgage, which is really not a lot of money. They're completely off-grid. They both work at home. They, they don't care at all about load shedding. And it's like, if you think about it in that way, in terms of, you can be completely free from the state for 250 rand a month. And it's changed their lives. Think about what it's saving you. Think yeah. about what it's saving you and your electric costs. I mean, in my restaurant, my restaurant, unfortunately, is still on grid. I mean, I'm, I've got plans to take it off grid. But 
my restaurant's costing me fucking 5,000 rand a month out of electricity, man. But that's what it costs. So you think about it. If I could put that in there, like loan or whatever, look, this is 5,000 based on the currency today. I mean, for those of you who think the cost of electricity isn't going to go up, you're insane. So 250 quid, like on a debt. I mean, that's going to be there for how many years? But that's pretty much fixed. Yeah. And then it's like, you're insulated against further increases on the cost of electricity. You will make that money back five times over plus some. And I bet your friends now all of a sudden went from really gloomy, like, oh, I hate my life, to like, my life is brilliant. I bet you they're one of those that, you know, what we typically refer to now as solar connoisseurs. They walk outside with their cup of coffee in the morning and they, they look at the clean off their solar panels with pride and they're like, that's my baby. Fuck you, government. And they sit there every day and all the conversations, it's like CrossFit fanatics. Like all of a sudden, every conversation is like, you should see my solar unit. Like, let me show you my solar unit. Let me show you my app on my phone. Look, I'm generating seven kilowatts. Like, oh, shut up. I'm not like that. But I, I know people who are like that. And these are the most normie people in the world, right? They vote DA. They, they, they're very normal, right? They just want to live in a functioning country. And they were like wanting to live in Australia and things like that. But now they're off grid. Like they get it. Right, it like red pulls you dramatically once you know you don't need to, you know, stay with government bullshit, and it doesn't cost them a lot of money to do so, and therefore, like you know, if if you have a business or things like that, we're not saying you know make money or win the that, lottery. Or, or, that, like, oh, you can't see it, but that's that's mine, Ramon. Um, I'm I'm generating eight point five kVA right now. Well, I, I I can't see it. Thankfully, I'm only generating three, so that's pretty pathetic. But I got fewer panels. I'm not as rich as you. Yet, but maybe with the rebate, I, I will, I will get some more. But, but what, what it does to to people once they they sniff that off grid lifestyle mentality, it changes their perception about South Africa dramatically. That's why farmers, do, that's why farmers don't leave. It's only like city professionals that leave. Farmers don't leave; they've been off grid forever. Okay, you, I'm speaking, but but you know what I mean. Like people who have that mindset already just don't leave anyway. So the professionals. You know what? Well, I said that, what I said that once. Sorry, Brian, Brian, just quickly. What's easier, spending a million rand to go live in England and leaving everyone else behind or spending 250,000 rand and just going off grid? We know what the answer is. Or coming to England and uh, actually having my experience right now, which is 800 rand a day to heat my house. Fucking 800 rand a day, a day. Anyway, I was saying, I was actually sitting down one day and I was speaking to my um, my father-in-law and I was like, you know, what's... And he was telling me, I was like, how do you cope with this load shedding stuff? And he, he says, he says, you know, Byron, I grew up on a farm. We didn't have electricity until I was 35. He's like, so when they turn the grids off for me, he says, there's a degree of nostalgia for me. He says, all I do is I go outside and I, I get, back in the, get back on the tractor and do some shit. He's like, I don't care. And it's like... It really stopped and made me think about this, Ramon. I'm sure it does you too. It's like, we become far too used to modern luxuries. Though. Oh, far too much, yeah. Far too much, far too much. I, 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 yeah, so we got a, a family farm as well, and it, it wasn't off-grid. It is, it is now. M- money through necessity rather than luxury. But we used to go there, and if the power goes off, the power goes off. But you're already sitting around a fire cooking meat. Like, you don't give a shit if there's a light or not. Or you just use a torch. Like, like low-chaining means very little outside of the city in in a comfort way not, I'm not talking about 
irrigation and ESCOM and all that sort of stuff. But once you understand it's there, once you understand you can combat it very easily, and once you understand what it means to not care about government bullshit or care about increasing electricity or any of that stuff, Africa's very easy, man. Very easy. And it's not difficult. Yeah, you know, it's it's funny you say that because, you know, I was talking to my brother this week as well. So my brother's in Washington and he's um actually crying his eyes out because he's uh he says he took his daughter to Washington and you know, he took her there when she was nine. She's now twenty two. And he she's gone through the entire schooling system in Washington. So she's landed up one of those blue haired snowflakes that uh, sit and scream when Donald Trump gets elected. And he's like, so she's now, she she ran away from home at 19 because she claimed she couldn't live under the same roof as her father because he was a beneficiary of apartheid and as a white supremacist and a white suppressant because he grew up under apartheid. So, you know, and it's like I was, uh, I was trying to explain to him, you know, but at the end of the day, your kid went through schooling in Washington Therefore, she's become part of the Washington. She's not, she wasn't growing up South African. She was growing up as a Washington girl. Like, so she's American in that respect. And the current culture is blue haired snowflakes. So, what do you expect? You didn't raise him in South Africa with South African mentality. Anyway, she's now gone off and she's got, she's got pregnant and she ran off with some blue haired moron as well, proper little liberal snowflake. And he's decided that he doesn't want kids. And she should just get an abortion because that's what they do there. And she's decided that actually she wasn't going to do so. So she'd come home. So my brother's like really upset because he's like, he's got a 22 year old daughter with a kid with no father. And she like, she can't even sit down and talk to her dad properly because she thinks that she's a beneficiary of white supremacy in the apartheid. And he's like, is this what I came to the US for? And I suppose the reason I'm mentioning this is because as we just saying, like, People have become far too comfortable in the cities. And that's that's what it's like in the cities. That's what it's like, especially in Western countries, in cities. Their, their ideas of a struggle aren't what they are when you go to the, the country. You know, in the old days in the country, like the struggles were, don't get bitten by a cobra. You know, don't don't go out there and like, you know, get your, your crop washed away by too much rain. Like, watch your house, like, make sure you had a gun on your back because people come try to steal the shit you have because you're remote, like, their, their ideas of struggles are just so far removed, and I don't think that removing those struggles from people have made people better, unless you disagree. No, no, it hasn't made anyone better, um, which, which is why I sort of love stage six loading because it cuts out all the bullshit, right? You can make TikToks in South Africa about being a... a, a, a disabled lesbian queer theory no one gives a shit right make tiktoks about how you're living off grid and why it's so cool you're gonna get a lot more support for that there's no time for bullshit in south africa and that's why you must support the sort of collapse of the state and i mean collapse in terms of the political functions not the actual physical state i think we don't have bullshit we we, we sort of use our time to survive and thrive and build we don't have time for neuroses about gender or, or whatever the case might be. I mean, imagine imagine we did a story this week about a Muslim judicial council shitting on the DA for like gay stuff in all LGBTQI stuff in the Western Cape. Mate, anywhere else in the world, that's a hate crime. 
Yeah, it's like a legitimate thing. It's a hate crime in South Africa, but no one gives a shit. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. And we're not saying attack gays or LGBT or whatever the case might be, but the Muslim Judicial Council had a proper point. It's like, listen, guys, we're dealing with real issues. Don't spend time on this nonsense or spending money on this crap. Anywhere else in the world, that's a hate crime. And you'll be on TV and you'll be cancelled. Yeah? People have a debate about it. Yeah, I mean, at the end of the day, you can only do that as long as our people stay and they help to build the alternatives. They create the country outside of the remit of the government. And it's important that people realize that when they do that, regardless of whether they're Indian, white, colored, black, they're going to get called white. They're going to get called whiteness, as Juju famously said this week as well. You know, businesses are white. Government is black in his ideas. You know, black people aren't corrupt. It's the businesses corrupting the governments, which means that the whites are corrupting the blacks. This is the level of the discord you get. The minute you say state, fuck off, politicians go die in a dish, you're going to get called, you're going to get called right wing. You're going to get called white wing. So at the end of the day, crutch of the story is embrace your white wing. Like what else are you going to do? Like we don't, we don't subscribe to state intervention. We want the state to fuck off and leave us alone. And anybody else that agrees with us, which brings us back to what I said to you originally. Why, what is white privilege? Living in a Swedish winter for a thousand years. What is white privilege in South Africa? Living through state decay and negating it through technology, right? I'm not saying only whites do it, of course, but I mean, that's the, the narrative being pushed by a variety of people. But the, the difference is now that if the government thinks you are right-wing, you must embrace it because right-wingism, conservatism, is what will make you thrive in South Africa. You have to build your own. You have to focus on your traditions. You have to focus on your family. You have to focus on arming yourself. You have to focus on being self-sufficient. You have to focus on being self-reliant. And what are those people? Conservatives. We don't care about abortion. We don't care about gay marriage. We don't care about any of that. It's about what is the conservative mindset required to thrive in South Africa. And it's basically traditional conservatism. And the ANC knows that, which is why they call everyone right wing. Just embrace it. And do it and be it. Yep. And when somebody calls you right wing, wear with the badge. These days, everybody's white right wing. As long you have it to window, mate, it's pointless. It's pointless. I mean, it had a it had a point where at one point in time, they have to windows now. It's pointless. It's it's just so overused. It's like anybody who doesn't agree with me is far right, far right. And as long who is me? Well, I'm the commie bastard who got you into these problems. But if you don't agree with me, you far right. We don't want far-right extremism. I mean, so well, that's pointless, mate. It's like, everybody's far-right these days. If you're not following ANC bullshit or some left-wing Labour government or whatever, Democrat Party bullshit, everybody's far-right. Oh, I believe there's... I'm old school. I only believe there's two gender. Far-right. I believe that you should be entitled to own your property. Far-right. Like, everybody's far-right. Who cares? But just embrace it. And understand what it means and use the tools set up by our ancestors to use it to thrive in a stateless society like South Africa. So you have to be far right to thrive here, far right in inverted commas. But you have to have those, those, yeah, very inverted commas, sort of. But you have to have those characteristics of tradition because that is what makes you stay and build. Socialism doesn't make you stay and build. Liberalism doesn't. You know, paganism doesn't. What makes you stay in bold? 
things that you know already, things that have been passed down across generations, knowing what marriage is, knowing how important it is, knowing how to raise children, knowing how to build communities, knowing how to be self-sufficient, self-reliant. All those things are, in quotation mark, far-right characteristics. So ironically, by labeling us as far-right or right-wing or whatever the case might be, they A, completely correct, and B, it's the only solution for us. I agree. I agree. Oh, for once, Byron actually disagrees with me and has nothing else to say. What a miraculous time. Maybe we should just end it there. Let's, let's imbibe this moment. Thank you for listening, everyone. If you are a paying subscriber, you will have the video of this up on Substack. And if you are listening on Apple Podcasts, please leave a review and a rating on the Apple Podcast app. It really helps get our message and, you know, makes more people interested in this. And of course, if you really, really enjoyed this, I want to become a paying subscriber on Substack where you'll get the video as well. Thank you for watching or listening. See you in the next one. Cheers. Cheers. Bye.